Welcome, welcome to another... The official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go. You're wasting time. Welcome to Pottercast, your number one audio source for Harry Potter news, theories, discussion, as well as info straight from the makers of the books and films themselves, like me, Matt Lewis. I play Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter films, and I'm very happy to be here helping introduce your hosts, the Pottercast trio, Melissa, John, and Sue. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Good work. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, have a good show. See ya. Hey, Potter Piggles, welcome to Pottercast number 54. 54. 54, 54. This week we have Danny Bilson in our extendable ears. Now, who, who's Danny Bilson? Danny Bilson worked on the first ever Harry Potter video game. Ooh. was part of the crucial team that brought it to life. He doesn't do it anymore, but he shares with us so much awesome information uh, about how these, how these video games are created, especially about J.K. Rowling's involvement. So make sure, cool. make sure you stay around for that. Our canon conundrums this week is about the way in which the wands will become more important in book seven. J.K. JK Rowling said at Radio City Music Hall that the relationship between a wand and his wizard would become more important in book seven. And so we're going to rip that apart and pretty much pretty much come up with the answer because that's what we do in canon conundrums. Do we have a fan interview, John? We do have a fan interview. We'll be with Kimmy and a lucky fan talking about whatever fan interviews talk about. Which is code for it's being it yet, done as I we record. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We're sure it's going to be wonderful. Yes. And that's it. We have a couple of news things, but first, Here first, no, not quite yet. I think we should we should have a word from our sponsor, John. Oh yes, our sponsor. We have a brand um, new sponsor here on Pottercast. I can't wait. Here it comes. <clears throat> Today's Pottercast is brought to you by Borders, your home for all sorts of spellbinding books, enchanting music, and magical Ooh. movies. Pottercast listeners can enjoy 30% off from any item at Borders by clicking the Borders coupon on Pottercast.com. Visit BordersStores.com to locate the Borders near you. 30%, that means you should get like... That's huge! The entire works of William Shakespeare at oh, once. No, <laughs> you should buy the life-size Dobby. Thanks, John. <laughs> the other store. If you're going to no. buy a Harry Potter item, you should go to the... Well, no, you should... For, okay, you should go... The collagen shop for the Harry Potter yeah. merchandise, but yeah. for everything borders, you should books totally. and such. Well, no, I mean, if you think about it, if you want to buy three books, um, you get it for like the price of two books. Uh, right. Sort of. If it was 33% off. <laughs> okay. And they were all the same price. Enough advertising for now. Let's go to the news, which isn't with Sue this week because Sue Where has had some. Is Sue? She's got some personal stuff to Sue's attend to. Jason Isaac's called and he wanted to go out to dinner, so you know. She's on. She's we lost her. The beaches. We lost her because Jason Isaac's called. Jason Isaac's. I'm tired of him taking Sue away. All I know. Time. I know. Come on, I Jason. Know. Go all find right, well, find your own Sue. I'm sorry. Uh, Sue's news is going to be brought to you by Melissa this week, so I hope you don't uh-huh. mind. I'll go do it right now. How about okay. that? It's been a light week in Harry Potter news, but we have some great stuff for you all the same. Actor Alan Rickman was recently interviewed by BBC America to promote his new film, Snow Cake. In the interview, to which you can find a link by going to leakynews.com, Mr. Rickman was asked whether he reads the Harry Potter books to prepare for his role. He said, I read it, yeah, I've got to stay ahead of the game on that one. 
Now, in the past, actor Dan Radcliffe has said that Mr. Rickman is one of the only people in the world, perhaps the only person in the world besides J.K. Rowling, who knows Snape's true loyalties. Mr. Rickman rarely gives interviews on the subject of Harry Potter, but when it does come up, he remains very tight-lipped. He once said to Leaky, I am certainly not going to tell you anything. The fans who spotted an error in the Harry Potter series have had that error acknowledged, though the publisher of the Harry Potter book says the misprint is old news and was spotted immediately after release. Bloomsbury representatives confirmed that the number of owls that Book Six says Hermione received is incorrect in the first printing. She sat for 10 owls in Book Five and is said to have been awarded 11 in Book Six. This error was spotted and corrected for future editions. Actor Rupert Grint will be interviewed by BBC Radio One next week regarding his new film, Driving Lessons. You can submit questions to him on the show's message board, to which you can find a link by going to leakynews.com. We will provide more information and links as they come in. There's also been a new pensive section added to Warner Brothers' official Harry Potter website. It includes teaser trailers, interviews, movie clips, and DVD extras, so be sure to check that out. On leakynews.com, we've also added video of the press conference that J.K. Rowling gave in New York City the day of her first reading at Radio City Music Hall. For all this news and more, please be sure to visit leakynews.com, which, as Sue would say, is updated daily. Now let's go back to the show where John is waiting for me. That's a whole lot of news, Melissa. That's good stuff. It is. It is actually... It isn't a whole lot of news. It's because not, oh. as, as you'll hear when Melissa records the news, it's been a light <laughs> Harry Potter news week. Oh, actually. Has? Yes, it oh. has. But I want to talk about some of it because some of it is very, very um, interesting and revealing. We've had some movie news by way of video game news. Oh, I love uh, video games. Because what, by what is being planned for the video game does fall in line very closely with what is being planned for the movie. So, of course. Yeah, um, I think it's a pretty almost accurate what's going to be in the video game will be in the movie. So mm. let's look at the report from Donna Hosey, who is our gallery manager. Yeah, Donna. She went over to the Ele- Electronic Arts Studios and had a fantastic day on set and wrote a fantastic review for Leaky. Not set. Um, uh, uh, video game set, not movie set. Movie set. Um, Leaky's going later this month MuggleNet's going later this month um there have they had you probably read they're having two set visit days so half of the people set the sites that were going yeah. went already and the other half are going at the end of the month they really sort of they really sort of blew the doors open on the set visit um yes. this year it's a free-for-all everybody's grabbing every, every, every prop they want stuffing <laughs> in their pockets yeah it's gonna well, be they, crazy well it's sort of like if you have a harry potter block <laughs> you can go yeah, it's um no, it's Pretty not much. exactly it, but it's um they they really they've they've decided to just invite as many people as humanly possible instead of previous years where it's been very, you know, when I went for Prisoner of Azkaban, I was the only fan there, and then me and Emerson were the only fans there last time, and now pretty much everybody's there. So yeah, you're I think so. I think you're bringing your grandma, aren't you? I am. Yeah, my much. Italian grandma. Yeah. Who doesn't speak English? <laughs> <She's gonna> be- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, anyway, the video games a really interesting list that she brought us back about what will be in it. Little is it winching? Little, little winching. Widger. Stop. The Dementor Wh- attack on Harry and Dudley. Grimmauld Place. Dumbledore's. Place. I don't know what Dumbledore's Hogwarts mean, but oh, okay. Dumbledore's the, Hogwarts. The Room of Requirement, which of course, how can you do this movie without the Room of Requirement? Absolutely. Got to be the coolest thing in the film. It's Christmas the thing in the books, period. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd love that room. 
What would be in the room for you? Require me all the burritos I could possibly eat in one sitting. Why am I not surprised? Yes. Anyway, Christmas at Grimold Place, which will be interesting. It sounds like Grimold Place is really going to be used as a... That would be a really fun adventure environment. Yeah, totally it would be. They'll probably make it huge. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they make it huge in the movies, too, because I figured it being like this mansion. Yeah. And like if you think about the Wheezy's place as like this poor house that's still cool because it has all these rooms, think about what a rich person's Mm -hmm. mansion would look like, a magical mansion. That'd be so dark, dark magical mansion, you know? What's that one painting from that famous guy? That has all the staircases going in all these crazy directions. Escher? Escher, yes. I think, I I imagine it looking kind of like crazy like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of crazy though. Well, there's Occlumency, Snape's Snape's worst memory, which I have to say, I cannot wait to see. (gasps) To see the old, you know, to see the Marauders brought into, into, uh, into the movies and, Oh, I just, uh, oh, it's just exciting. it's just moments like that thinking about that you just think, gosh, how did we get to movie five already? I know. Seems like we were just waiting in line for Chamber of Secrets to come out. Now you it's know, fifth movie. What Only did you, two more after this. What did you do for the first movie? The first movie? Yeah. I almost didn't even go. I went because my sister made my family go. <laughs> I hadn't read a book by then. Oh wow. I, I hadn't went. read the books until months after that. I was by total chance in DC that weekend. And so, and, and I mean, leaky was just a little sort of thing I did. So I just went runt little thing. And so I just went and stood online at the uptown movie theater in DC for hours and hours and hours and people were on costume and we had so much fun. And then for, for number two, I just went to some random theater and then number three, things started to get crazy. What do you look, what do you dress up like before the first film comes out? How do you know what to even dress up like? Oh, people, people knew, people knew. And from the books, obviously, but I There'd mean, so pictures. many people dress up like movie people more than they dress up like book people. Anyway, we're getting off topic. There's also, um, Fred and George's finest hour. My gosh. So that oh, seems that like it's going to be in the film. Yeah, yeah. Finally, um, they give the twins more to do than just reactionary nonsense. The Ministry of Magic, of course, Voldemort versus Dumbledore. My absolute <laughs> favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> they better so, not screw it up. If if past indication is correct, if what's in the video game has pretty much been in the movie, um, that's probably a good outline of what we're going to see in, yeah. in the movie. Where did we hear something about... The Dumbledore Voldemort battle happening like more than just the atrium. Did we hear that? I thought I remembered hearing that. Like it was actually going to happen. They're going to move around the ministry or something. I wouldn't be surprised if that is the way they show us the ministry because they can't really spend a yeah. lot of time there. You know. I wonder. I wonder who will be moving around who. Oh, Dumbledore. I mean, it's probably going to be a draw. They really do match each other in in that fight. Because Dumbledore didn't, it looked like he was effortless. Wasn't he just, you know, just kind of did, 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 talking to Thrilla like he was just, just you know, yeah. like his, you know, son just kind of, you know, grandson just kind of, you know, come on, Riddle. Except that he does, around. he does get frightened when. At the very end, sure. Right. right. It was Harry, the Riddle combination that frightened him. But they could both be effortless and just be moving each other around. Like, for instance, if Voldemort disappears yeah. and reappears in a different end of the hall. 
then Dumbledore has to advance on him, you know, and it, it could just. Um, well, see, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to, how they're going to handle Apparition after they made this huge dramatic production out of it in the fourth movie with all the smoke and the nonsense. I if just, they will keep that when they, uh, when they do the real quick Apparitions while they're battling. What I, what I really hope they keep, though, is the cool atmosphere those two have with each other. Their cool oh, yeah. chemistry, because it is so important. They can't be like, can you imagine and running after each other. Like, Did you put your name on the Goblet of Fire? Yeah, like you can't have that Dumbledore. Like, you have know, to have the Dumbledore. Better not be there. I'll kick I mean, him. he has to show up and say, "Hi, Tom." The way he yeah, does, you know, like totally. that's Dumbledore. Dumbledore Tom, is not Tom, Tom. Voldemort. You have come here for the last time. I know. Uh, 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 you know what's going to happen? Is what's going to happen. Um, when we're there for the set, if by chance they're oh, shooting the battle, the are you going to the set? I don't did know. We, did we say that yet? You just said the sets were going to the sets, and I we're know. going to the sets. I know, but we didn't explain. Oh. So if, if when we're visiting the set, if they happen to be shooting the Dumbledore-Voldemort fight, and I see Dumbledore, Michael Gambon, being all, and not calm, I'm going to walk up to him and tap him lightly on the shoulder, and I'm going to kick, kick him in the shins and be like, you need to settle down. <laughs> and then see what happens to me. I know what will happen to you. <laughs> I think I do, too. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you for coming, Mr. Noe. Here's the door. <laughs> and here's some jail for you. <laughs> jail. <laughs> or whatever. And, and, and Leaky, you're never allowed back here again. Oh, well, yeah. we should explain. Um, every set, every um, side is allowed one person. Um, yes. We have been extremely fortunate in that we're allowed to because we're going to be podcasting about this with MuggleNet. And to do a successful podcast... You really need more than two people. A good sure. podcast about something like this should not be short shrifted. And so we sort of had to <laughs> promise our firstborns and to get another another yes. slot. And we had a coin toss between Leaky and MuggleNet and John won it. And so the yes. two the three representatives from Leaky and MuggleNet will be Andrew, Melissa and Melissa, me and John. Yes. So um, we're kind of reacting very blasé about this. This is huge news. It is. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be blasé. No, I mean, it's just like we didn't even preface that as an announcement, but there it was. That's a big announcement. Podcast. Well, leaky people people know that there's going to be a set visit. They they know these things. Sure. You know, I mean, I don't mean to be blasé, but it's still, uh, there's nothing blasé about going to the set. I just, you know. I'm still overwhelmed at the possibility of seeing the things we could be seeing. But we're not going to be able to tell you about it for like ever. I know, doesn't that <laughs> so, suck? It really does. And then they tell you that you can come out with the information like the week of the show, the week of the movie. I know. And two, that's why last year so little information film. came out. I mean, no, seriously. <laughs> two months it was, after the film, we can put out the, the podcast. The day before the film like came out, I got an email yeah. and it was so pointless at that point because everything Everything had been oh. said in other ways. Every, we'd seen pictures. Watched you know, the movie, we'd, seen, we'd all seen the movie. You had seen the sets the, and the trailers that they're describing in these details. Right. They write this beautiful report. There on. was almost nothing left to say. And so we, we let out some information in our podcasts. We talked about it in the commentary and, and left it at that because there really was, there was nothing. But we are going to, we think we're going to be able to um, bring you some, some really cool things that won't be stale if you've already seen the film, such as podcasting right from wherever we are at that moment and just saving it until, until we're allowed to release it. So you'll get to hear when I, when I first walked into the great hall, um, 
they the, the publicists were as excited that there was a fan there, a quote unquote big fan there as I was. I mean, they were jumping around with me. And so they, they said to me, we, you, we're going to the Great Hall, but you can't you have to close your eyes. So I closed my eyes and now I'm with like six like real journalists, you know, and I closed my eyes and they walked me in. And I opened my eyes and, and I, one of them said to me, if you start crying, I'm going to laugh so hard. And I, and I did. I almost started oh, crying because it was the Great Hall. So, I'm probably going to cry. Well, that's what's going to happen. You and Andrew are going to close your eyes and I'm going to record um, your reactions. Well, you know what's going to happen, though? I'm going to give the, the Bobaton uh, gymnastic person a run for money. I'm going to cartwheel all the way down to the Great Hall, to the head John, table. I, I swear, you have to I'm going to practice. My my cartwheels. You have you have to settle down. Last time when we went for Goblet of Fire, the the the, the Great Hall was being stripped for the Yule Ball scene, so it really wasn't Aww. that exciting. Plus, I was there with Emerson, who you can't excite him. You can't. And he, so um, if he put he a was pizza sort of like, on the damn head table, he'd freak yeah, out. Then he'd flip out. But he was very sort of like, oh great. I was like, what are you talking? Come on. Yeah. I was so I was more excited than he was. But oh, anyway, we're a, getting that's way a super fan off right topic. There, though. <laughs> Way, 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 way off topic. So, yeah. um, so yeah, anyway, this, this this video game stuff is awesome. The video game, and they've created a fan council, which means that if you have ideas, you go and look on our video games link on Leaky, and there is a link to our forum where you can go submit your own ideas. And Electronic Arts is talking directly to Donna from Leaky and some people from the other sites, so that we can get direct feedback. And awesome. Yeah, I mean. They've Tell blown them the doors open. Developed for the Wii, so we can actually use the Wii's controllers as a wand and cast your spells. They are. Well, they better put a lot of effort into that. They are. Okay, I want, what else? I want my form of my Wingardium Liviosa to. Wingardium. Yes. That exactly. I want my my form of my wand movements to affect how powerful the spell is. Okay. Exactly. So, what other news do we have here going on? Really, it's been a light week. We have an error on Half-Blood Prince that was spotted by Bloomsbury a year ago. And just now, it's like somebody decided to publish information that says it's there. And so there's been a bit fewer. It's old news. Hermione got 10 owls. She only, or she got, it says she got 11. She only sat for 10. We know. Let's move on. Um, The Leaky Mug. The Leaky Mug is coming to California. Leaky Mug and Kelly. Yeah, go to leakymug.com and RSVP if you're going to come because we need to know. I think three yeah. hours after we put up the announcement, we had 130 RSVPs. Yeah. Go ahead and buy um, a wall clock. What, buy some stuff because we're so poor. <laughs> no, seriously. No, don't. Don't. If you're we, we are not asking those of you who can't afford it to dig no. into your pockets. We're just saying if you have some money to burn and you want you want a leaky mug, something or other, um, Please do because it it will it will help us be able to go to other places and and do podcasts and and as we've seen from your emails you you'd like that. Hey, we also have a new issue of Scribulus out. Ooh, number eight. Number eight, and I gotta say, I'm reading some of these. <laughs> They're pretty awesome. I'm reading Weird Sis's um, "Why Can't Everyone Just Be As Big of a Harry Potter Fan As I Am," oh. which is something that just goes through your head so often because. I mean, especially when you do something like we do and people look at you, they give you that hairy eyeball and you just want to say, look. The hairy eyeball? Yes, the, the eyeball that's hairy. That's gross. It is gross. That's why you shouldn't do it. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? But tell me you haven't had this, this moment in your life. Here's a quote from the essay. Yeah. Most of the time when I meet a self-proclaimed Harry Potter fan, I am disappointed. I love Harry Potter, they say. Really? I ask hopefully. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've seen all of the movies. 
Silence. Oh. I hate that. I hate that. It's like, oh, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I'm like, oh, great. What, what book's your favorite? Well, I, I've seen the movies. No, no, no like, you're not I a Harry, Harry Potter, Potter fan. I love Harry I mean, Potter. Dan Radcliffe is so cute. Yeah. Like, no! Read but the yeah, book! Okay, you can't be a Harry Potter fan if you're just a, book fa- a movie fan. Okay, yeah. But you're not a Harry Potter fan. I can't have a discussion yeah. with you, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, anyway. For oh, sure. That's well, a good essay. Speaking of fans... Mm. Let's uh, let's push it along to Kimmy let's and see what her fan of the week has to talk about. Sounds like a plan to me. All right. Bye. In the fan corner, a one-on-one interview with a new lucky fan each week. Not me. Not Hermione. You. Hello, this is Kimberly Blair, otherwise known as Kimmy Blair, throughout the forums, and I'm here with. Petra, otherwise known as Miss Talents, who is one of our Room 15 or Suite 15 reading group members. Hi, Petra. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Excellent. Now, um, as I mentioned before, you are one of our active members in our reading groups that we have currently for the Sorcerer's Stone, otherwise known as Philosopher's Stone, book discussions. Pretty soon we'll be wrapping up and we'll be heading into the Chamber of Secrets book discussions, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, me too. Now, I don't know if you just want to start off by talking about why you joined the lounge and why it is that you decided to join into these book discussions. I didn't actually make a conscious decision, really. I saw the thing in front, you know, on Leaky, the news about the reading groups restarting, and it was really a sort of spur of the moment thing. I just sort of signed up for it and decided to try it out. I had wanted, really, to join in for quite a while, but never really got around to doing it. There's always something going on, so many discussions and things, that it can be quite hard to really get in right into it. So starting Mm -hmm. off with the reading groups and all that, um, it was quite a good stepping stone, really, to move on to the main topics and things going on in the other you know, in the other areas. So do you kind of feel like as someone who, because how long has it has it been that you've been visiting Leaky before you decided to join into the reading groups? Oh, I have absolutely no idea how long, it is, how long it's been. It's definitely at least two years, perhaps. Wow. So quite a long time. So you feel like the, the reading groups, because they are a smaller group, is a good place to kind of start out with the smaller discussions and then break out into the larger forum as opposed to, you know, going into a place like the Princely Nook that has had threads that have been around forever. Yes, it's definitely much better because, I mean, everyone's starting really at the same point and, you're, uh, you know, you're reading the books slowly and things with everyone else. And in a sense, it's a lot more, I wouldn't say controlled, but not really. You're sort of, you're sticking to something and you can discuss, you know, you can put down your theories and, and there really isn't that much of a, I don't know. Yeah, I understand. It's kind of, it's kind of hard, you know, when you see all these threads, you feel kind of nervous. So this way there's, there's a lot less pressure. You can feel free to, you're posting with a lot of other people who, you know, have read the same things as you. So it's a lot easier to, to join in with the discussions. Mm, yeah, that's true. Now, one of the things that we've been talking about in our little corner of the reading groups is sort of the letters that Harry receives in the Sorcerer's Stone. He sort of receives a bunch of letters. They always address to where he is, mm-hmm. things like that. Is there anything you kind of want to discuss about these letters, how you think they work, things like that? Basically, what I was sort of thinking about that, there is a big difference, I think, in the ways that they're sort of addressed between families that actually know about magic and families that don't. So my thoughts on that, really, I think you have basically two theories. Um, 
both of them, they don't really cancel each other. The first one would be that they make a really big distinction between families that don't, as I said, that, and that don't. And the best example would be, for example, Colin Creevy. Mm-hmm. He would probably have received his letter with a member of staff, like you see in, for example, Half-Blood, Half-Blood Prince. And when Dumbledore goes goes to the orphanage to help Tom Riddle. So while he would have a member of staff so to introduce him and help him into diagonally and teach him really um, how to how to get around and all that, the sort of the basics really, to get his things and, and all that. His mm. brother, which starts Hogwarts a couple of years later, wouldn't yep. be received because there was, there's already one member in the family who knows about everything. So applying that to Harry and, you know, his relationship and everything to Petunia, who is the sister of a witch, plus the whole fact that Dumbledore left a letter explaining everything, probably qualified him as being one of the students that should know about everything and therefore mm-hmm. don't really need a member of staff to come and help. Mm-hmm. My second thing on that is that while, you know, we know that Dumbledore has been watching Harry closely, he, admit, he admits that in Order of the Phoenix. Yep. So it seems a bit ridiculous to send so many letters when he obviously knows that the Dursleys don't want him to have them. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of rereading the Order of the Phoenix, or no, not Order of the Phoenix, um, Half-Blood Prince, yep. and got to that part where he's knocking the glasses on Dursley's head heads until and keeps making them knock and knock and knock till they are knocking harder and harder and they have to ask him to make them stop that part's hysterical <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> i'm a very mean and you know you shouldn't be torturing muggles and all that but anyway as you were yeah, saying but it's just so satisfying to see that happen mm-hmm. um so basically what i was thinking sort of bringing that back for it was completely in character for dumbledore knowing that the Dursleys are trying so hard to keep everything from harry Mm-hmm. to just keep sending those ridiculous, really ridiculous amounts of letters until they, you know, couldn't really stop them anymore, stop, yeah. you know, keep, couldn't really keep anything from him anymore and see just how far they, they would get. And the limit being the 31st of July, which was the last day to send the reply to the, to the Hogwarts letter. Could it, could good insight and different way of interpreting that it's so nice to see one of the things you see in the reading groups is there are a lot of new ideas which is surprising because you know this is the first book and you would think that everything has already been mashed over and redebated. but a lot of the ideas are still new ideas that although some people have heard them not many have people have heard them mm-hmm. um another thing that you know we kind of have like that we've been discussing is olivander harry first sees him in this book do you have any insight or different things like that about Ollivander you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I think Ollivander's really one of the most weird characters in the whole books, really. I think it's interesting. One of the things that I noticed about him is that it doesn't seem like he really sees the problems going on in the Wizarding World as being in the individuals. It seems that he almost treats the ones as, as having a mind of their own. So in that case, the sort of the war, the first and the second one, wouldn't be between Harry, Voldemort, Dumbledore and all and all those people, but rather between the ones that they hold. And then if you sort of take that perspective on, on things, it's it's quite interesting because if you think about Voldemort's wand and Harry's wand, they are pretty much equal in a sense, since they have this they share the same the same core. 
And it's also that it's the one that will probably make sure what Harry um, survives, since Voldemort and him in a dueling situation, um, their knowledge of magic doesn't really make that much that much difference to to what goes on. It doesn't matter how many powers Voldemort has in dark magic, without being able, without having something to practice them with, um, it's impossible for him to really do that much. Now you mentioned you know the similarity of the core of the wands Tom, that Tom Riddle, Voldemort, and Harry share. Do you see any other similarities between the two in these books? I don't see them really. I think it's interesting. I see them both as being two completely opposite, mm-hmm. on completely opposite sides of the spectrum. I mean, Harry, when he was 11, he was using his magic to, for example, escape humiliation and, you know, escaping Dudley and things like that. While Tom, mm-hmm. he was using his as a way of gaining power over over others, for example, you know, mm-hmm. um, scaring other children and hanging rabbits and all that kind of stuff. And also, I think it's interesting in the instances, for example, that they should share similarities, which is, for example, the parcel tongue. Tom uses him his as a method of control. I think he says, mm-hmm. I can control snakes and animals. They can do what I want them to do in the memory scene in Half-Blood Prince. While Harry... On the other hand, the instance that he, we first see him using that power is to communicate with a snake that he he sort of you know can understand what the sort of feelings and things that's going on, like being locked and having people sort of stare at you and and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just you know yeah. it reflects the way sort of the character of the of the two. There is sort of some discussion in the first book. All we know of Tom Riddle is that he is you-know-who. We don't know really at this point that he is Tom Riddle. Do you have any anything to talk about about Voldy being known as this you-know-who character instead of people actually calling him Voldemort or Tom Riddle? Right. Um, what I think about that is that Voldemort being referred as you-know-who, which is something that um, he seems to take some kind of pride in, that people are scared enough not to call him by his name, is that ultimately it's going to be pretty much his downfall in a sense because it's obvious that he won't get his ultimate goal of becoming immortal but the only other kind of immortality really that you can have is by your name being recorded forever or being remembered and since his name is never going to be mentioned at one point people are going to keep saying you know who you know who and people won't actually know who he is so I think that's you know, quite interesting. But also, it's a bit confusing, um, perhaps how Dumbledore never really considered revealing to everyone mm-hmm. um, that Voldemort is actually Tom Riddle. So I'm not quite sure, you know, if there is any proper explanation to that, but uh-huh. what I'd like to think is that giving Voldemort a more human kind of, a you know, background, mm-hmm. see, presenting him as an actual person is probably probably would end up increase only increasing really the fear than making people you know fear him fear him less okay good points now we're gonna get to our infamous live or die section um we're gonna start off with um some characters that are in book one um how about hermione do you think she will live or die i think she'll live yay how about ron i'm not quite sure i think he might I think it's possible that he might sort of give his life for Harry or Hermione or someone, but yeah. I'll say live because that's what I want. 
Yeah, because it's one of those other things you see in book one. You know, a lot of people, as the canon conundrum was talking about a few weeks ago with Ron sacrificing mm-hmm. himself and things yeah, like and that. Yeah, and the creature. Yes. Um, how about Neville? I think he will die, probably. I'm not sure. Aww. I don't know. It's just one of those <laughs> those things. Now, how about Harry himself? I think both. Um, I think J.K. Rowling is probably going to make it seem like he died, but, mm-hmm. you know, sort of do an ambiguous kind of ending. Ah. Now, how about Lord Voldemort? Die. Ah. And our last one will be my favorite, Ginny. Live. Yay! Definitely. Thank you very much for joining us today for our fan interview section. Yeah, it was great. Hope to see you around for our second sorting of Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Once again, this is Kim, otherwise known as Kimmy Blair, and Petra, known as Miss Talons. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. I think that the relationship between the wizard and his wand is significant because of Harry and Voldemort's wand sharing a cult, which is kind of obvious. I think that it will prove important in Book 7 and with Harry killing Voldemort because of what happens in the graveyard in Book 4. I also think that Ollivander going missing has significance to this. For example, Neville got the last wand Ollivander sold before he was taken away or hiding or whatever it is that he's doing. And I think that we're going to see that that is going to play a huge significance um, in the maybe even the final battle uh, between Voldemort and Harry. We already know that um, Voldemort and Harry can't duel because their wands won't fight each other because of Prairie and Contardum. So I'm just thinking that somehow somebody is going to have to change wands, and I think that more than likely... Um, Harry's might get broken and he's going to take Neville. Something crazy like that is going to happen, but there are theories that abound. Everybody's going crazy with them, so I just think that the wand and, and the wizard is going to be important because it's going to mean everything in the last fight. This relationship between a wizard and his wand is so important because it's an individual wand and that wand chooses the wizard because it is the one key that unlocks all of the all of the wizard's powers to the full potential. That's which is why someone else's wand wouldn't work as well. I think the relationship between a wizard and his wand is just that either if it is used for good or for evil, and that's just all I think. In the seventh book, she'll explain why the relationship between a wizard and his wand in connection with Harry and Voldemort's wand being brothers and then Ollivander's disappearance. I thought it was interesting because in the first book it said um, when Harry goes to get his wand, Ollivander said, it so happens that the phoenix whose tail feather is in your wand gave another feather, just one other. It is very curious indeed that you should be destined for this wand when its brother, why its brother gave you that scar. So I was thinking that we know Joe words things very carefully, and she says destined for this wand. And we also know that the wand chooses the wizard from that same chapter. So I was thinking that um, what the combination of destined and wand choosing the wizard, and we know that Harry has to be the one to defeat Voldemort. I just think that that's why the Voldemort's brother wand picked Harry, and in some way that's going to 
it's going to turn out that Harry had to have that wand to defeat Voldemort. Now it's time for Canon Conundrums. Listen in as our panel tries to figure out one specific issue from the Harry Potter canon. Who could possibly figure that out? Hey, it's Canon Conundrums time. Canon Conundrums 13 for Pottercast 54. I'm here with uh, the gang again. Plus, plus one. Wait, wait, are we plus one or are we minus yeah. one? <laughs> well, we're plus one, minus one. I think we're minus two and then plus one. Minus two, plus one. That's too much math yeah. for me. That's... A lot. Is this actually Canon Conundrums 13? That's what we've been saying, but you or know what? No one's, no one's going to know the difference. Well, 13, <laughs> the original 13 got erased. <laughs> so this is 13 Not surprisingly, 13, there were problems 13 with a. number 13. Yes, I know. Oh, my oh, God, my Jason. Gosh. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> that blows my mind. There you go. Of course. It's mind-blowing. And thanks. All right. We're here. I'm obviously, I'm, I'm Melissa. I'm here, and we have Jason, our guru of sloth. Hey. He's a guru of sloth. Indeed. Jason, when are we going to get a song from you? I know, Jason. Again. Let's sing a duet, I got some. Jason. <laughs> you know, I think we're about ready to have that, um, that Broadway filk. Uh, yeah, I think Don't so. say those things. Don't say those things because <laughs> then, then we wait a while before doing it and people flip out. Well, no. I mean, it's coming. Probably after California, don't you think? I think maybe right before it, or maybe the week we of. We could do it right before it. Yeah, because we're all going to be so busy. Because it, it's going to be a good thing to fill the show with. That doesn't require all of us getting together and recording. There you go. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's it a makes great your idea. life easier, not harder. Start there recording you go, Broadway your Broadway silks. Start writing them. We'll announce when they're going to come in. Soon. Yeah. This is not the segment to be talking announcements, unfortunately. <laughs> well, what are we talking about this we week? We are talking about wands. Wands. Yeah. Why wands? Uh, Interesting. Do I can I do my best Steve Vanderark impression to introduce sure. the topic? Sure. Okay. Sure. Okay, guys. The topic this week is wands. That is. That is so, not. <laughs> no. Thanks. That's not Steve. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm glad Jason said it because it doesn't sound like my normal being mean to John thing. <laughs> Come on. It's just true. Well, fine. I'll do it in regular voice. Then I guess this is... Your a, regular is voice is mentioned. closer to Steve. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> We're trying to be serious. This is canon conundrum. No, 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 no. Seriously, we have some really good conversations. Yes. It's all about... Well, mostly this is about when, when Joe got up there in that little pretty dress talking about <laughs> how wands were going to be important in book seven and the relationship to the wizard and the wands, and also how the wand is merely the vessel to direct the magic that lies in every uh, wizard or witch's uh, magical core. All right, well, who wants to start us off? I don't know. I mean, this is actually a hard one for me. I don't. I kind of want to hear what some of y'all's ideas are and, and riff off of them, but, you know, the first thing I think of is, is Harry and Voldemort having the same cores and... You know, I start to wonder, could one of them be getting a new one? But that just doesn't seem right because there's, you know, it seems like such a big deal, the fact that they have, that they share the the wand cores that that wouldn't sure. be something that she would go away from. But I think yeah. if anyone's getting rid of their wand, it'd be Voldemort. Because really, Voldemort, why would he want a phoenix feather in his wand? He's especially Mr. Fox. Evil Wizard guy. And he got the phoenix, which is the most, yeah, especially Fox. I mean, this is the order of the phoenix. This is... 
I know Voldemort is smart enough to realize that a phoenix is probably one of the most magical creatures and probably one of the more powerful cores you can put in your wand, but just his vanity would probably, the more he thinks about it, would, he probably wants something cool in there, like a like a dragon foot or toenail <laughs> or something yeah. evil, not a phoenix feather. A dragon a toenail. toenail is evil? <laughs> well, if it's a particularly dirty toenail. Okay. Um, I think nobody's changing their wand. Harry's, Harry's, well, here's why. Well, actually, no, I go two ways about this, but Harry's not going to change his wand, obviously. He doesn't care yeah, if, if his wand meets up with Voldemort's and oops, right. Voldemort <laughs> can't oh, kill him. That's the best you thing know? he's got going. Yeah, though. exactly. Well, but, so he's not changing his wand. Voldemort, I think, is just a bit too vain. I think wants his wand. It's his wand. Hmm. He's not changing it for Harry Potter. You know? So how are they going to fight each other? Maybe they no, can well, use swords. They can fight each other. The the it's when the wands yeah. it's when they do a spell at the exact same time and the wands connect. That's why that happened. But that Not happens that simply all they the were time. fighting each other. No, it doesn't. Think about how fast they were shooting up curses in the Department of Mysteries there. It looked like a blur of spells. You tell me that not one time I mean that happens all the time in professional I dueling. I don't remember. It's like they sit there and take turns. Ever. I don't remember another. Well, no priori in Canton because there's no more other brother wands. But I'm saying when people fight, no, 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 not priori Canton. They gotta not be firing right at each other. It just seems like it's a freak occurrence because you're talking about two streams of light or whatever yeah. energy it is hitting each other at the exact same space and time. Not above, not below, not beside. You know, it's when they're forced to do it at the exact same time. They can still technically fight each other. They did in book four. Without before Priori and Cantatum happened. Right. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it might happen here and there, but with all, the, with all the dueling that was going on, yeah, some of them might have connected, but they probably weren't bl- brother wands. No, no, and probably not. So it's, a, brother it's, wands. it's A, it's a freak occurrence. It's, it's B, it's an hu- even much bigger freak occurrence that, that, that they're brother wands. So it's really not a common anything. And, uh, no, not the, the brother wands being common, but the idea that. When people are dueling each other, they can send curses up at the exact same time because no, they're know. shooting them such a, such a succession. I know. I think that's extraordinarily rare. You're talking about particles of yeah. whatever in space. I mean, a, a, a half a hair away from each other and it won't happen. So you're telling me they got that lucky when that happened to them in book four? Uh, Pretty much. They were just in the Harry, right particles of time and space? Yeah, that's that's not the first time (laughs) something very (laughs) specific and luckily happened. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, I think it'd be interesting. They could duel without that happening. I just just think it'd be interesting, the idea that these two of the prophecy says they have to fight. Yet there are wands. They have wands that aren't able to fight each other in that way. Well, maybe that's that's Fox's contribution. Maybe it's staving off the killing of each other yeah. that would occur otherwise and in a yeah. way i mean they weren't able to duel but you know they still had a struggle when their wands connected and harry won that that struggle you know he yeah. forced whatever that was little ball of energy or whatever back back at voldemort and hey i'm allowed to say that name now <laughs> and uh yeah. i just i don't think that they're even going to use the wands when they fight anymore i think they're going to use other things than wands when they fight like Gryffindor's sword and that kind of stuff. Well, I don't think they'll even I use the ones. I don't think. So. I don't think hmm. that's correct. I mean, I, I'm just. I just disagree. I think they're going to use one. Her whole, 
the fight with his sword. Yeah. Well, the, it could be it could be that wandless magic ends up being important at the end. I hope because that'd be so cool. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of only seeing wandless magic to like light candlesticks and open up trunks that dementors. <laughs> and, you know, can we see something yeah. cool like like uh, what's his what's his name um, Emperor Palpatine shooting the stuff <laughs> the lightning bolts out of his fingertips at poor Mace Windu. You know, that kind of magic. That'd be cool. That's what I think. Yeah. Melissa doesn't think that's cool. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that, but obviously there's still that quote <laughs> to be grappled with. Wands are going to be important right. in the in the seventh book. Well, but here's what she said. She said that the relationship between a wand and his wizard is important and that the, and that the wand is very much just a vessel. So that seems to be emphasizing that the wand is only indicative of what's inside which says that exactly. maybe it's not so important. Hmm. Maybe it's, you know, and, and that struggle with Voldemort always was a big flag to me, I think you, you guys as well, that Harry just proved his, his power over Voldemort. It's a power struggle between them. Harry's got just a bit more and he's going to win. I think we all pretty much believe that they're not going to change their wands. But what if what if Voldemort were intent on, you know, what if that's part of the reason that Ollivander disappeared or something like that? He wants a new yeah. wand. Is that, I mean, is the fact that the wand is supposed to choose a wizard, if he tries to make his own wand, does that mean that he's not going to have the right wand for him because he's mm. kind of going about it backwards? Harry had, Vol- had um, Voldemort, had Dumbledore to tell him, um, this, is, this is what happened that night in the graveyard. Priori and Cantatum, mm-hmm. this is why, etc. Who told Voldemort what happened? Don't you think Voldemort's going to be curious about, hey, what the heck out. happened to my wand? Yeah, okay. I, I would think that so, he might put it together. You think he's never heard of such um, such an occurrence? No, I don't think he has. He doesn't know these these things, these ancient things. He showed himself really remarkably stupid in that regard. Well, I mean, he didn't in remember. He didn't remember yeah. at the time of the magic that the Harry's mom did. It's like, oh, ancient okay, the magic. Point, I, I didn't the think point of this. Before you, the, before, the before you cut me off by saying he could figure it out, the point <laughs> that I was trying to make is that he wants to know more about it and how to get over it. He's going to want Ollivander. Yeah. yeah. Who's the person you ask about that? Ollivander. Somebody said something interesting in one of the threads that, that Ollivander seemed to have just disappeared without a struggle, that maybe he was hiding and he had someone as his secret keeper so no one could find him. You know, like maybe he's still there, just sitting in his shop. And <laughs> it could be. <laughs> you know, Ollivander's been evil all along, right? And, and you know, I mean, who if he is, if he has been, you know, maybe he's kidnapped, maybe he's gone into hiding, maybe he's being hidden by someone. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the Death Eaters. You know, maybe the Order is hiding him for some reason. Yeah, Dumbledore could have been it for his own good, just like Dumbledore tries to keep Trelawney in the castle even after yeah. she wasn't working for him anymore, just to protect things that are important to the end game. Now, what was, wasn't it Neville's wand that was the last one that he... Yeah, last one sold. Sold, right. Mm. So I don't know. I don't understand. I mean, it would be nice if that had some sort of significance, but I can't understand how it would. Yeah, maybe that was just a convenient way of... Of mentioning, oh yeah, by the way, Ollivander's gone. <laughs> we mentioned the last time we did this was that um, we wondered sort of where the Ollivander family was because he's been around. The, the shop has been around since 382 BC. How old is Ollivander? I don't know. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, Doesn't he have weird silver eyes or something? Yeah, he might be kind of. He old. does have silver eyes. 
I don't Could know. Could he be not the most human of people? Hmm. Mm, like a different magical species of... I don't know. I mean, think about all the time he spent sitting in, in a room where the most concentrated magic anything. Mm-hmm. It's just magic everywhere. And he sits... It's it's sort of like... Well, no, because those are only vessels and there's no magic in them unless someone's holding them. No, because Harry walks in and he says that he can almost feel a special sort yeah. of magic. And it's not <laughs> that you can't use a different wand. You'd have to think that those cores themselves yeah, just there's something all being to so together. Didn't, yeah. Wasn't part of that... Uh, another thing that Joe said at the reading that like if a muggle picked up a wand, something bad would happen... Like something violent yeah. or unexpected. So that implies that there is some kind of magic there. I mean, clearly the ma- the magic that's being used for spells is coming out of the, the wizard or the witch, but the wand has its own True. magical properties that focuses it or something. Could, could either of you see one of their wands, or not even Harry or Voldemort, like any of the important characters, maybe they would, their wand would get damaged or broken or, you know, otherwise destroyed. And, you know, I, I don't know... It, I don't know why I'm fixating on the, someone getting a new one, but it's just this whole Ollivander thing. And like, well, Neville, yeah. you know, you never get as good results with somebody else's wand, and Neville spends book five getting so good, yeah. and everybody notices how good he's getting. Now he's got his own wand, and we didn't hear anything about it in book six. Yeah, you're waiting for that, aren't you? <laughs> I'm so waiting. I love the Neville. He'll have his moment, I'm sure. Yeah, and he's gonna do something. Like in an entirely Neville way, but it'll still be, it'll be a Neville way, but it'll still show that he's better than everyone thinks. Because it would just be weird if he were suddenly oh. Superman. <laughs> oh, the Neville. Yeah. Well, do you do you think that it has something to do with Fox's feather itself? That why did Fox's feather pick these two people? Why did Fo- because it does yeah. say that Fox gave these two feathers. They didn't ask Fox for them. Right. They didn't take them for him. He <laughs> gave two feathers. Yeah. That's what, that, that is. And, uh, you know. And um, did Ollivander make them? I mean, how long ago was this? Was this even before Fox belonged Ollivander's, to Dumbledore? Or? Ollivander sold them both. I yeah. don't know if Fox belonged to Dumbledore when Voldemort got his wand, which was, what, 50 years before Harry? Yeah. Because, mm. I mean, how Ish. Fox could be, you know, ancient. And if the Ollivander family sure. has been making wands for a long time... Well, here's what I think. I think, and I have nothing to back it up, but Fox was used to be owned by Godric Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, I've heard that after before. this battle between Slytherin and Gryffindor, Slytherin's like, you know, my descendants will come back and I'll, you know, we'll take over and this and that. And then Gryffindor's like, uh, no, um, but just in case, Fox, I want you to be responsible and it'll be your two feathers that make the ones that will put the balance back in hmm. magical the world. The force. <laughs> yeah. I did not say force. See, look, look where you take No, I, no, that, that, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be too much of a similarity because it, there is a balance with all yeah. wars. Yeah. and evil is a balance I think that that's is definitely yeah. everywhere. That, you know, Slytherin yeah. has to be kind of brought back into the fold. It's, you know, the four houses yeah. need to be united mm-hmm. but yeah, if, it, if it is Godric Gryffindor's phoenix I mean it's interesting in Fantastic Beasts she doesn't say that the phoenixes are immortal they can withstand death blows they don't die by normal means right. if you know an Avada Kedavra does not kill them but all she says in, in Fantastic Beasts is that they live to immense ages yeah. she specifically does not say they live forever so how old is Fox is he from Godric Gryffindor's time or not you know right. yeah. Godric is a thousand year old phoenix he clearly dies fairly often because <laughs> Harry saw it when he was 12, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
Sure. I would like. I don't know. This might be getting too far off track, but I would imagine that the phoenix like lives as long as it wants to. You know, if regular yeah. things can't kill it and it's not going to die of old age or anything like that, then as long as it sort of feels like it has a purpose to serve, then it's probably going to yeah. keep on living. I think I would think that they can die of, of quote unquote old age. Yeah. Their old age would not be getting to that point and dying and re- being reborn. Their old age is like, all right, well, I've been doing this for 45,000 years. Right. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, that's enough, man. That's gotta, enough. What is the next thing about the whole, the whole idea of like immortality is that even if you find a way to regenerate your body or go into a new one and this and that, there's still a mental age and there's still probably fatigue mm-hmm. from living for so long and having such this mental age, regardless of how young your body feels. And it's certainly believable to think that a creature who was around for 45,000 years could be like, dude, I'm tired of this. This is stupid. And I've seen countless wars and countless bad guys and good guys. Like, this is enough. Dumbledore, Dumbledore was my favorite guy. He's gone, so uh right, to, towel. To bring it back on topic a little bit, um, if he gave those... If he gave those two feathers and those two feathers chose these two people yeah. and the wands are just vessels... Would the same thing happen if Voldemort and Harry tried to do this wandlessly? Um, you mean with like no. a priori incantatum kind of thing, or like just a stalemate? Some sort in of some sort of stalemate, yeah. because if the, if it's just a vessel and it's and it's it's just showing you what's inside the people there, and mm. the same core. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I, it's like a convoluted yeah, yeah. line of thinking there, but there's. So what would that might, mean? Like, would that? I mean, if. Would that mean that the two of them can't do battle? Can't fight each other? For I don't know. Uh, I think it's just the the vessel, though, because then that would make the whole phoenix feather thing insignificant. Because then you could have one unicorn hair on one phoenix feather, and they do the same thing because of the magical core. No, they can't because they wouldn't have been chosen. They can't because they're not brothers and they're not brother cores. Yeah, But, but no, if you say that it's the magical core of the of the human. That is what does it. Then the vessel would be insignificant. No, because I'm saying if if this magical core chose these two people, then then like Harry is a phoenix feather core, say Voldemort is a phoenix feather core. That's what these two people hmm. sort of are. Interesting. I don't know. There's there's a line of thinking there that's not quite elucidating itself. Maybe maybe in a later week I'll have. See, there's a lot of things brain, that but, are just confusing about wands. Like it, we know that people get second wands for various reasons. And presumably the second one would choose them too, you know, if they go about it the right way. But they're not going to necessarily be the sure. same core or size or, or wood or whatever, are they? I mean, I, well, well, think no. of yeah. this way. What if your second one, Harry, Harry's wand snapped in half? And what if he got another phoenix feather, holly wand of the same length, hell, from the same tree? Would it... Would it respond to him just as well as his previous one and what and if not what makes it different no because he won't get a wand until a wand chooses him he could go into and go and get use somebody else's wand and it wouldn't be the same thing but if he bought his own wand and he had that same sort of connection to it as the one that he bought in book one then it would be the same but But the wand chooses the wizard was just like his first one identical to it in every attribute it can't be identical to it in every attribute. Fox only gave two feathers. Well, what if they pulled the feather out of the other wand and put it in this new wood? Then 
I don't and know. I totally get I the feeling so. that like someone like Ollivander just wouldn't make two wands the same anyway. Yeah. But I don't know. He seems like yeah. this sort. Well, Voldemort was put into a U wood yeah. and Harry's into Holly, so. Yeah. But that is kind of interesting to think that there might be, you know, multiple wands that would choose a certain wizard and mm-hmm. That all seems very romantic. <laughs> yeah. This whole it's there's like one thing sight. for you in life. Yeah. It is exactly. sort of like yeah, like this really you're romantic. matched with your wand. I mean, God don't I mean, lose what, that thing. Yeah, really. What happens if <laughs> Ollivanders burns down? Like no more wizards will have those wands that were destined to be with them. Mm-hmm. I think Ollivander has probably some protections. <laughs> so anti fire firewards. Yeah. And what if someone Alarms. undergoes like a huge change of heart? You know, what if I don't know, like Snape, maybe, <laughs> you know. Hey, wait a second. Yeah. Ah, huh. Okay. Here comes a wacky Melissa theory. Dumbledore in book five was trying to do something to Voldemort. We don't know what. He was, the silver spell was coming from his wand and it was making a, 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 a hollow gong sound. There's been speculation that he was trying to give Voldemort back a bit of his soul, a bit of his, his conscience, right? Mm-hmm. So if you do that to somebody and you have you cause in somebody a huge change of heart the same way that emotional turbulence can change your Patronus mm-hmm. what if then your wand doesn't fit you anymore yeah. and then therefore Harry and Voldemort can battle because he has to get a new one or because it just because he's had this change because, of, this uh-huh. change of, of persona because he's had this he's now has a conscience how weird would that be you? if like by giving him a conscience it actually made him more vulnerable oh, that'd, that'd be, be a, kind of be some spell sad in a way to actually change more than a personality to change someone's soul, soul or to augment well, it in some way. Look at Horcrux spells. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. That's certainly. I mean, that's something so you do to yourself. The idea that there could be an offensive attack on someone else to alter their soul. I think it's just as likely. Wow. It's just as likely that you can do it to somebody else, I think. That's I mean, intense. if you can kill somebody else, what says you can't... You can't touch their soul That's... I mean Dumbledore says there are things that are worse than death what if Voldemort felt everything that he's done over these years yeah, yeah. wow I don't know I think things that we've been told about Voldemort like just make me think that he's never gonna have like that little piece of yeah. conscience I mean yeah. you know she says that what does is, what is Joe say about him like he's the only one that's like beyond redemption completely because he's psychotic yeah so in a way I mean if he's beyond redemption does that mean that he, like, if he had no conscience, <laughs> would that almost say that he's not beyond redemption because it's not his fault or something? Well, I don't want to get into that, but I, I, yeah, I, that's another counting card because I'm sort of like, well, if he's psychotic, I, yeah, if, yeah, that's a. I blame Snape more than I Snape than I blame him. Yeah. you know, and she does anyway. say something like that too, right? Like that, in a way, like, yeah. Snape is at the interview. Yeah. She said that. Yeah, yeah that's she has right. to be really careful there. Well, do we have final thoughts uh, on the ones? Yeah. Jason, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's formulate the question that we're answering here. <laughs> the question that we're answering is, what is the way in which the the relationship between a wand and a wizard will become more important in book seven? I guess I still think it has, it, it comes down to the wands that Harry and Voldemort have and the phoenix feather from Fox, that's feathers that are inside both of them and... I really don't know what that means, but I think it's still has a bigger part to play. I guess that's all I can guess at. <laughs> well, I'll say that I that I think it it definitely has to do with the fox connection, and that the wands being a vessel 
uh, it isn't just some random thing. It's not going to be some minor character having a blip with a wand or something that that makes what she said make sense. That I think this is sort of central to the way in which wands will play into the final battle, which we've seen play. They played it in book four. So yeah. Harry and Voldemort's wands are clearly very important. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, that's confusing. My final thought is that I think it's definitely about the phoenix feathers in Harry and Voldemort's wands. Yeah. And I think that on the flip side, the idea of the wands being important, um, she's cluing us in that the wands necessarily aren't important and that she is um, segueing to the ideas of wandless magic. And that in book seven, Harry will be able to use wandless magic, perhaps through legitimacy, through his curse scar to, to Voldemort. And mm. I think, uh, kind of like how book six came along and introduced this whole uh, mind-blowing notion of um, casting spells without saying aloud the incantation that should tell us that there's still more about casting magic that we don't know much about yet, and that would be the wandless magic. That was mind-blowing? <laughs> mind-blowing. It, it was earth-shattering. Because before that, we had no idea you could say a spell without talking out loud. I, I did. When have we ever seen that before? Book five. Book one. Doing what? When, ha- when Dumbledore's fighting Voldemort. Book they one, could've... when he, cha- he does a lot of things without words. Who? Dumbledore. Like what? Pretty much in all of them, there's something. Yeah, I think in, in POA, he just, just sort of waves his them. wand and makes all the sleeping bags appear hands. and things like that. Yeah, I mean he does things well, we on a smaller a scale, but and then on book in book five, you 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 definitely the thing I, I mean, took that, away that from that fight with Voldemort. I don't think anybody uses a word yeah. ever. Well, what I'm what I'm saying is that she waited all the way until book six to tell us about something like this. Then she could have been waiting for book seven to talk to about wandless magic. Maybe. Because we've seen wandless magic too. Yeah, usually unfocused. It's never been called it, really. And hell, we know that Harry can set his wand, Lumos spell, without having to touch the wand. As we see in book five in the alleyway with Dudley. Wandless magic. That's interesting. Cause it's go. like wandless, but it is wanded. She was a very yeah, clever exactly. spell she picked. Spooky action. Yeah. Any other spell would have been, oh my god, wandless magic. Like, hit you over the head, but because it was Lumos and you needed your wand to use it. Yeah. Very clever, Joe. <laughs> I didn't quite follow what you said, but I'm just going to go with it. There you go. <laughs> it's cool. Good luck, Kimmy, for putting it into the poll, darling. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, Kimmy. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, on that note, let's push it along here to listen to Melissa's awesome extendable ears. Cool. All right. Thanks, Jason. My pleasure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Borders, your home for all sorts of spellbinding books, enchanting music, and magical Ooh. movies. Pottercast listeners can enjoy 30% off from any item at Borders by clicking the Borders coupon on Pottercast.com. Visit BorderStores.com to locate the Borders near you. Time to put on our Extendable Ears. Listen in on Potter Talk from the people making the magic. Our news. 
Welcome to this week's Extendable Ears. It's a little bit different this week in that our guest is not a worker on the movies or books, as has been in all cases in the past. This time, he's one of the original innovators of the Harry Potter video games. He he doesn't work on them anymore, but he was there when it was all being created, when, when there were the first meetings with J.K. Rowling and this world was being shaped in, in digital form for the very first time. And he shares with us a lot of details about what it was like to be creating such an arm of this mega blockbuster franchise. Now, Danny Bilson was also one of the original creators of The Sims, the very popular video game, The Sims. He has a a production company called Petfly, which has supplied 165 hours of original large canvas television episodes and pilots for major Hollywood studios. He's co-written and produced several feature films, including cult favorites, Trancers and Zone Troopers. He's also penned the screenplay for Disney's The Rocketeer. He's contributed drafts for Paramount's The Italian Job as well. He and his writing partner, Paul DeMeo, have recently relaunched The Flash into a comic book for DC Comics. And in the fall, his team will debut an original for DC Comics entitled Red Menace. So we're very happy to have this multi-talented person with us. Welcome, Danny. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I actually, um, more than anything, helped launch the original the first game based on uh, the philosopher's stone right that was uh i i spent about it seemed like every fifth week in london that year of uh 2000 going towards i believe it came out in christmas of 2001 and that was um a major effort sort of getting it up and running and coordinating or helping coordinate helping other talented people coordinate between um, the studio in the UK that was building the game and Electronic Arts. Um, uh, J.K. Rowling, of course, and she was up in Edinburgh. And the people at Warner Brothers in Los Angeles and the people out at the studio in Leaveston outside London that were making the film. So that was, yeah, it was quite a time. It was really um, it was a lot of fun and it was really interesting. What kind of work goes in the first video game you're talking about building it from the ground up straight from the books, not like for instance, now they're building on each other. Um, what, right. when you're building a video game, what are the special considerations for a video game? Well, you know, making it fun, <laughs> that's sort of the most important thing. Yeah. And, of course, in the case of Harry, it was all about um, being authentic to the franchise, not just the books, but to the visual style that they were establishing in the movie at the time. So David Heyman, the producer of the films, was and has continually been involved in the games in, turn of, in terms of... Um, uh, making sure that the style, everything from the voice acting to the costumes to the sets to the props are all authentic. So the teams in the U.K., and the teams have changed over the years now from the original people. The original executive producer was a, a man named Colin Robinson who did the first few games, and then um, he's moved on from there. But, uh, again, I was involved in the original game, the second game uh, to some degree, and the third game to some degree, and Quidditch World Cup to some degree. Mm-hmm. I was not involved in the, um, the uh, Book 4 game at all. I had moved off to other franchises at EA then. But um, really, you know, we can talk about those that first year and um, getting the first game going. To answer your question, I remember my first day meeting the team in the U.K., 
um, they really wanted to make something that was as fun as the absolute intention was to make something that was as fun as um, the Zelda games on the uh, Nintendo. <laughs> nice. And they thought that those kind of um, action adventure uh, with lots of content and lots of interesting puzzles and activity uh, would fit uh, the Potter franchise. And of course, you know, we could not, we couldn't do any content. Well, that's not true. We couldn't do any stories beyond one movie at a time, so to speak. A lot of these things were in Joe's deal and how she wanted the games made. And she did, however, the interesting and probably one of the most interesting things was when I showed up, she sometime that year early on in the process, she wrote a massive document of what we call lateral fiction, which is things that weren't in the books, that she drew a map, and um, I must have this document somewhere, but she hand-drew a map of Hogwarts and the grounds and how it laid out in her mind, and she gave us an entire bestiary and lots of other spells that weren't, um, hadn't been published yet. Now, some of that stuff wound up in those two um, charity books that came out the following year. Mm-hmm. The um, I believe it was uh, the Quidditch book and the um, and the Fantastic Beasts. Wa- yeah, yeah, Fantastic Beasts, mm-hmm. right? So a lot, some of that stuff did appear in there, but we had this. I think, if I remember correctly, the document was like a hundred pages <laughs> oh or something, my gosh. and it was pretty amazing. And she had just done this job to make sure the games were good. And I remember talking to somebody on her team who said that, um, you know, Joe just really wanted the games to be good and she wanted, she figured if there was going to be new material created, she wanted to do it to make sure it was authentic to Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, and my experience is multiple trips to Edinburgh in, in sort of these conference rooms, they would rent at a hotel where she would meet with us and the people from Warner Brothers who were in global brand management. But really, mostly it was a dialogue between our creative team and Joe. And those meetings were great. I mean, I, she was incredibly nice, incredibly friendly, incredibly normal. Mm-hmm. Um, just like she's a writer and she cared about her material and she got to, you know, appreciate what we were doing. She wasn't. Um, she was anything but obstructionist. I remember one meeting, I think she was writing book five at the time when we were meeting on, uh, maybe it was Quidditch World Cup, mm-hmm. and we had characters from a certain country that had, like, dyed hair. And it's before book five had come out, and she would say, I just don't want you to use the character with the dyed hair because the character is coming up uh-huh. and something she's writing. Uh-huh. So um, it was really, the limitations were, I thought she was incredibly generous creatively and really nice. I mean, I, uh, my, rem- my you know, memories of, of the meetings with her were there was a lot of people who were very tense um, <laughs> in brand, but not her. And, not, and, and mostly it became a dialogue between her and... At that time, Colin Robinson and Guy Miller, who was the lead designer and what I would call the head writer on the game. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner and I did a lot of scripting, especially on the first game. Mm-hmm. But um, Guy Miller is was really the sort of master of all that. We would um, 
do a lot of rewriting. Actually, we did a lot of writing on the, on the first game, a lot of rewriting, and less and less as they went on. We did a lot of writing on Quidditch World Cup uh, at one point. And sometimes you design a lot of stuff and write a lot of stuff that doesn't wind up in the final game because things get cut um, before the end. But, you know, my memory of that time was, was quite excellent. It was, a, it was a lot of hard work. It was, you know, the first time that Harry was getting... See, he was being visualized both on film and we were animating him at the same time. Right. So nobody had seen anything. And there was tremendous security. We couldn't get the studio to show us film. So <laughs> I and another and a guy from Warner Brothers um, Interactive wound up in this crazy room in Burbank going through the stills. And it was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stills from the first movie to find, you know, I would pick which ones we needed copies of to make sure that the design was right. Because, again, I keep saying nobody had seen anything at that time. Now, we also visited the film set and looked through the prop room and walked around the sets and looked at all the costumes and um, things like that. And, and the kids had been out to visit uh, the studio, the game studio, a few times, mostly for fun, because um, they didn't do the voice work. I directed all the voice work in the first, I think, the first two games. As I recall, definitely all of it in the first one. But I, I seem to—I think I did the second game too. And we had really good actors. Um, we did them in London, in the studio there, in the because the, the at EA had a sound department that had uh, facilities for recording dialogue. Mm -hmm. So we had really excellent actors, but they were all voice alike of the film cast because they hadn't made deals with the film cast early on so it was easier to use uh, voice alikes but um, that was really successful and, and it, I remember it took about eight days all day straight to record the voices for the first game oh gosh you know 12 hour is days is that typical? It, um, yeah usually it gets spread out more over the process it depends what kind of game it is I mean sometimes the army games don't take that long it's just Soldiers shouting and stuff. Grunting, yeah. uh, I also did the James Bond games over those years, and that would take maybe maybe as many days, but we would do two days here, two days there, and two days here. And then we also decided that um, in those early games that the narrator would be done twice by Stephen Fry for the English game because he read the audiobooks in the UK, right. and by Jim Dale, who read the audiobooks oh. for um, the American audience. So I flew to New York twice to record Jim doing all the narrator stuff, and Jim's session was an all-day session. I didn't do Stephen Fry. They did that in the U.K. after I'd left. Mm -hmm. But I did both the first two games with Jim, and he was a wonderful guy. It was yeah. really, I, I really enjoyed working with him as well, mm -hmm. um, doing all the narrator stuff for the first two games. It was, it was, it was quite a time. Well, when when a world is so realized, so rich in detail, has so many has so many elements to it as a world like J.K. Rowling, and you're creating creating something based off that, is it, does it helpful to have all that detail, or is, does that hinder the process? Oh, for games, it's very helpful because games tend to need more detail and content than movies mm -hmm. because how what's behind that door what's behind that door what are those classes like what about all the classes that are mentioned but they don't you never see in the movie or go to in the movie and then turning those into gameplay was always the challenge for the designers and i thought they were pretty successful in making those um fun mini games around what what being in a class was like but every single thing in that game had to be approved through first the 
see, the important thing is is that um, J.K. Rowling and her lawyers in London, in their contract, the one thing that they had approval over in every single consumer product was text and anything that had to do with words. And our games had text all over them, whether it was the name of a plant to any bit of dialogue. So what would happen is they set up a department at Warner Brothers in Burbank called Text and Verbiage. We refer to them as T&V. So our team would write something. It was T&V. They would go through all of it to see if any reference could be found in any book or in any of the lateral fiction, and if not, it had to get flagged. Then it would go back to the Chris Little Agency, which is her lawyer, and then he wound up hiring um, a person there to manage text and verbiage for him. And so then she would check everything. And then ultimately we, notes would come back and everybody would want changes. It was the most micromanaged thing I've ever dealt with in my entire career. It was, it was completely wild. And I remember there was a gigantic issue on the second game, the Chamber of Secrets game, over, I mean, over, I mean, major crisis meeting. We all had to rush to Burbank over somehow a brown recluse spider had gotten into the game, and they couldn't find it anywhere in the fiction. So the level of detail was that intense, and there was a lot of intensity around that. I remember there was a meeting, an all-day meeting in January of one year, where it was all about how are we going to fix these pipelines of how the text flows through, because Warner Brothers never wanted to offend her or her management at all, or, or, you know, the worst thing at all in their minds was having uh, Joe be upset about these games. So, um, not that I ever had any sense that she was, because I didn't. I think she always really liked the games. I remember her daughter really enjoyed playing them, and EA would always send her copies right away, send her a PlayStation right away, and all of that. And I remember her saying that her, her daughter was really enjoying them. Mm-hmm. That was her first child. Um, and... But there was a lot of paranoia about the text and verbiage, and I'm sure it still goes on to this day. I'm just not involved in the projects anymore. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It sounds like... Um, well, Is that new information for you? Yeah, it's a lot of new information. Any of that? Yeah, most of it, because we don't really hear from the video games. Um, they're they're uh-huh. starting to open their doors now. We have a set visit um, with them coming up. But we don't really hear the the process behind it so i had no idea that it was so involved like for instance flipendo is that same uh-huh. spell from the first game that came from that right. lateral fiction right yeah Every- absolutely everything did we didn't make up anything wow we didn't we didn't make up anything it had to come from her or it couldn't go what about- that was absolutely did go ahead has that continued or has that lagged off as far as i know yeah as far as i know it has i i again i haven't worked on the games in a few years so who are you going to talk to next about from the game people um we have somebody going to the set i'm not sure who exactly it is but they're actually oh, to the film set you mean to the, no to the ea uh, studio oh in london i keep calling it set i don't i don't mean to in, in guilford you mean is that, is that what it is guilford yeah, yeah they're doing like a like a uh, a fan site visit kind of thing. So. Oh, okay, that's cool. So it's nice, you know. Um, I'm not personally going. So right, I'm- so I, I'm sure they'll talk to Guy Miller, who I believe is still on the games after all these years, because he would be the the expert of experts at this point, and he's a wonderful guy. Cool. Well, um, I know I read an article recently that said that when you're creating a video game, like like what you touched upon, that you go through door A and you don't have to worry about door A in the book or in the movie but you guys have to worry about you know 
door A or what's behind it. So what were some of the challenges in in doing that and making sure it was fully realized for a video game audience? Well, again, on Potter, it's A, doesn't matter what the property is, having a good experience for the player behind that. But on Potter, it's having a good experience that's authentic to the property, but not just authentic to the property from the designer's sensibility. It has to be vetted by Warner Brothers and then the author. It is the most difficult, because um, I worked on Bond a lot, too, the James Bond games, and, and that was probably the second most difficult um, licensing uh, games as far as uh, the control from from the from the uh, license holders. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Potter, there's nothing like Potter, where it has to go from the game company to Warner Brothers back to um, J.K. Rowling's people right. back to the game company. Right. I mean, it's pretty pretty wild. Is it is it does that hamper the experience of creating a game? Does it make it harder in other aspects when you have to go through all these levels? It absolutely makes it absolutely makes it harder. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. The hardest thing is that these are movie games, so they have to be delivered on, by a certain date to be valid, right? They have to be delivered at the time of the movie. So all of those um, approval loops slow production down and slow the process down because you're waiting for um, everything to get approved and it can stall things and hold things up or something doesn't get approved and you have to cut it out and re-engineer it. It's very, um, very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. And I don't know if it's any easier now or not. I'm sure that the guys will tell you when you talk to the guys out there who are working on it today, mm-hmm. working on the Book 5 uh, game. But I really, I mean, I was, I, I'm really, I was um, heavily involved in um, the launch of the uh, video game properties. Well, what was that like then? Because it was so new. Everybody was waiting for the first film. The first film when this launch had just come out. So, you know, now we're looking at this, this phenomenon fully realized in all media, you know. So what is it like working on something right. so, so gigantic? Well, we were working on it, of course, before the movie came out, right? right? The... Um, Goblet of Fire book had just come out, mm-hmm. and we were designing a game where everything was locked down in secrecy. Nobody knew what a Slytherin banner looked like, or a, or or um, a Gryffindor, or nobody knew what anything looked like, and nobody could because the worst, the thing they were the most afraid of was an internet leak <laughs> on any asset. So things were much more restrictive than they are now. You know, six years later, yeah. uh, it was. Um, it was like, you know, working on a top secret, everything was secret, 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 and since we hadn't made anything yet, the the, game, the movie people didn't know um, what to think. It was, um, so the initial meetings, uh, one of the things I was helpful with is I had worked uh, with Chris Columbus once before mm-hmm. and knew people at Warner Brothers in production because I made a bunch of television there, and so they that helped sort of. Um, open the channels to discussion and, and collaboration that the game was more than just a consumer product like a pencil or a, a bank or a t-shirt. It really was an entertainment experience and we needed a lot more um, collaboration from the artists on the film. Right. Now what was important in terms of that, of that user experience? The Harry Potter video games um, being so important and so widely consumed, they're also very important to be to a certain age group. So you're sort of bound by, we can't make it too difficult because a certain, you know, a certain 
year-old person has to be able right. to, to get through this. So how is how yeah, is well, how is about tuning the big things? deal? Yeah, tuning is a big deal in video games, and tuning meaning how it ramps up in difficulty and mm-hmm. who it's difficult for. I mean, of course, they focus test the games with kids and with their target demographics, but uh, you know that takes a lot of time to tune a game really well. Mm-hmm. So I remember on um, Chamber of Secrets, one of the time constraints seemed to hurt the tuning on that game. So it seemed like it started out easy, and by the time you got to the Whomping Willow, which was only like the second level or something, it was really hard, and then it got easier again and then hard again, and that was one of the tough things about the second game because you want the game to just ramp up in difficulty at a gradual pace. But, you know, they do, you know, kids play them as they're being built, and, um, you know, they sign waivers so they can't speak about them but they test them and play them but the first games the theme of the games was very specifically be harry potter so it was all about how can i be harry how can i do magic how how can i go to hogwarts and that was everything was built around the concept or what the ea they call the x of the game was in those days was be harry potter and um that was the initial concept for the first games do you think the games have advanced video games at all in the general marketplace? Do I think the Harry, the Harry Potter, Potter games have advanced the art, the, the the art, art form? The art form, the, yeah. No, I don't <laughs> think so. I think the Harry Potter games have done a really good job of taking some of the best things of the art form and making them hairy, yeah. so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that they've advanced because it's tough, you know? I mean, it's tough when you have the constraints of all those approval loops, so to speak. Um, I don't think they've advanced gaming, but I do think they were some really good um, Harry Potter experiences and are really good Harry Potter experiences. I do think that. I mean, I do think it's cool for um, anybody who likes the fiction to be able to go to Hogwarts and walk around and talk to Hagrid and and see some of the creatures and fly on uh, Buckbeak. I, I don't know. I thought it was fun, and I'm, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, so um, I enjoyed them, but I don't think they pushed the limits of gaming. If there's something you'd like to see the, the designers and the, the um, animators now do to the games, what, 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 what do you think they could most benefit from to make them awesome? To the Potter games? I mean, if I had one wish for the Potter games is that they would do another Quidditch game with more time, more time for tuning, more work on it, and make it to the quality of, like, Madden football or an EA Sports mm-hmm. game. And they were headed in that direction. They just ran out of time. I mean, truly ran out of time. Because I think that um, a Quidditch World Cup that was, like, as has online capabilities and you could have leagues and tournaments and... Uh, and play to the capabilities of Madden football kind of thing. I think that would be what I want to play, but I like sports games, so that's probably why um, I'm interested I in that. I think even I'd play that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do, I did really, I really enjoyed the game. It just didn't have the longevity because it needed more depth and tuning. But it was fun for, you know, six, eight, ten hours, I thought. I mean, I played through a World Cup, and I thought it was fun. But I, you know, I know the guys who made the game just, they just, you know, with games, the reason Madden football is so good is because they've made it for 15 years. And so every year you're building on something that's 
that's already there. So the thing that it would be great is to do a, a Quidditch World Cup on the next-gen consoles with all that art. Uh, I think that would be really fun. Yeah, me too. So I have here that you're going to be with us at Phoenix Rising in May. That's right. That's right. I was invited to that. I'm, I'm, going, I'm doing a, a, a keynote presentation as well, so we'll be um, oh, fellow cool. presenters. It'd be a lot of fun. What will, yeah, I'm sure I'll talk about the kind of stuff I'm talking about now, which are the early days of launching Harry and the video games and, and my experiences with the great teams of people who are you know, struggling to make that work. Very cool. Listen, thank you. This has been awesome. Oh, good. I'm glad. And and uh, like I said, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, and I look forward to the last book. And and um, I really love the books. And I know that the people who make the games really love the books mm-hmm. and uh, appreciate the movies. But I think more than anything, they love the books. And speaking for me and and the rest of them, I know I'm, I'm that's true. That's what's hugely important to us. And to us. Very cool. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot. All right. Anyway, we have a correction to make from last week's show. Oh, a correction? Yeah, a little correction. Last week we had an interview with the HP Alliance, which was excellent. And Yay. some of you took... took Offense, because he said in the interview, and we, sh- we should have we should have edited this out, but that a hundred um, percent of scientists agree that global warming is a problem. Blah, blah, blah. Um, debatable, <laughs> I sure. would say, hotly debated, even no sure. pun intended. But um, it's definitely that's definitely not a real fact. Yeah. Um, so it's we apologize for leaving that in. As for the people who think that we shouldn't have had the interview in the first place, no, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Yeah, if it you creates think discussion, it's yeah. educational and it's it's good stuff. It's there, whenever we have an interview, it represents somebody's point of view. Nobody has ever asked an interviewee. I mean, what, we're interested in their opinions. These are their opinions, and you need to remember sure. when you're listening to somebody else's point of view that it is their point of view. This person, the interview was about using Harry Potter to encourage political awareness. If you don't think that's a cool thing, fine. Tell us why. Send us an email. I mean, if you have, if you think we shouldn't send us a real argument and if it seems to make coherent sense we will we'll interview you but when we interview somebody it is a point of view so i'm sorry that you don't agree and i'm sorry that you know yeah. but i i found it thought-provoking and interesting yeah. and um well that's the whole idea behind everything is just to create discussion and for you guys to have stuff to talk about week to week about harry potter and it did its job i mean gosh so if, go. if we didn't if we only presented things that 100 percent of people agreed with you wouldn't have a show. You couldn't do it. You couldn't, <laughs> you do, couldn't it. do it. You know, so whether it's whether it's whether you should ever mention politics on a Potter podcast, it, whether it's whether Snape is good or bad, I mean, people sure. are going to disagree. So I, we, we're, we're sorry you don't you don't agree. We hope it won't stop you from listening to the show. Sure. I, I mean, think it's going to happen news. to you with everything you watch. Some there's going to be something you don't agree with. So yeah, you know. I mean, eventually, I think it'd be fun to have one of those people who we just read about in the news this week that said how satanic everything by Harry Potter was. I, I think would, it was. I actually. I think it was the Pope's lead. Uh, what's this called? Uh, Exorcist. Father Exorcist. Ray. Was all talking about how, you know. Father Ray is Harry the same Potter guy. Was. They just change him. Um, yeah. I I seriously. No, the Father Ray. That's what they call the guy who does Exorcist. Father Ray. Oh, cool. Um. Because he's, he has to stay anonymous. Um, I really actually would like that. So, hey, if, if, 
for some you're reason wrong. you're listening to Pottercast and, and you, you hate Harry Potter and you think that it's evil, I would oh, love no. to interview you. Probably, probably more likely if you're a listener and you know somebody who is yeah. in the religious community or has a, a viewpoint as such, and you think that you want, or and you, you would think that they would want to have an avenue to get that opinion across, or to have an intelligent discussion or debate about it, yeah. then uh, let let them know yeah. and let them know how to contact us. I mean, we're not looking to ridicule anybody. We we wouldn't no. bring somebody on the show to say you're wrong. We want to hear their point of view. Maybe they'll make a good point. Yeah. Um, you know. I think people sure. want to know yeah. why people want to know why people come to these decisions, why people get to that, and and I think exactly. that's just as valuable as having somebody talk about the movies, you know. Why don't we have that lady on from challenging the books in whatever state she was yeah, challenging tried. them? That's cool. You Actually, tried? yeah. She didn't want to play well. Got, got nowhere. I also awesome. I also tried with Jane, Jane Yolen, who's a, a children's book author, a very successful children's book author. Got nowhere. Um, so it's not, it's not for lack of effort. We want to present challenging discussion, sure. but oh, challenge well. is fun. Yeah. Also, okay, get your filks ready, guys. Uh, it is time. We talked about it a bit in Canon Conundrums, but we pushed it and pushed it, and for no other reason that there's just been so much else going on, it's finally time. Broadway finally time for... on Pottercast. Broadway filks take Pottercast. Make all your jokes you want, Mugglecast boys. We do fun things over here. <laughs> and we're going to be singing Harry Potter filks. This theme this time are um, Broadway songs or themes from movie songs or I anything want... else like that. Disney I... counts. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Let, let's hear it. I Disney think Guru counts. has a couple of things planned. Um, Excellent. I might sing us something. I'm sure Melissa Sue and I will do our our triplet at or whatever you call it, a song with three people, and I don't know, it'll be cool. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Get recording, Hermie G. I can hear you hitting up your I button know. already. I know she's got four filks, four four filks written, two recorded, and three sent in to us already by the time this airs. Yep, it's good stuff. Okay, shirts are coming for Leaky Mug. Keep buying your Pottercast shirts because when we run out of that, yeah. when we run out of that design they will be gone forever i know it's sad so go to podcast.com hey, hey one quick ad for the fill contest um for the sake of not f- filling up the show with the same person over and over again pick your two best filks if you're going to record more than two and let us know which ones you prefer us to play because we're not going to play more than two of your songs on the show that'd be silly sorry christine well, just pick your good ones. Just put your effort into two good songs. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Okay. But maybe maybe if you're good and you, everybody wants to do more than two, maybe we can make them available in some other special format. Well, we can do one of those extras, you know? Yeah. This will be played the week that we're ha- having the craziness in uh, London and California. Yeah, so. because we can't record. It's just... Be nuts. Redu- California, because you guys sent us to the podcast awards. Podcast awards. Yes. I will be doing a live podcast actually out there. I'm, I've been asked to take part in somebody else's live podcast <laughs> at the at the podcast expo or something. Duh. It's very nice. Well, very nice lady um, who is a listener of podcast asked me to oh. take part. She only wanted you. Well, no, she wants to talk to all three of us, but there's. For a different thing, but then there's a then there's like a like a live thing that she's doing at the awards at oh. the expo that she wants me to just come in on. I don't really I don't know all the details yet, but um yeah fancy, that'll fancy. be. I'll let you know more details when we when we get to it. All right. 
Sounds like a plan. And I think it's time to go. Oh, is it already time to go? I think it might be. Well, good show. How awesome was that video game, dude? I know, right? He just spilled it. I used to want to play, uh, not play, make video games. He probably told information that he, but he doesn't work for the company anymore, so. He he ain't getting fired. A lot of stuff about all that fiction that Joe wrote. My gosh, could you imagine what that document is worth? Probably a hundred grand. She wrote all a hundred grand, might be like a million. She wrote all this. Maybe a million grand pounds. A million grand pounds. Is that how they say it? Can you say grand and pounds? No. Are you sure? Are you are you a Brit? I'm not sure. I'm sure if somebody will email us to let us know. I'm if you positive. live in the York, you can let us know if you can say granted pound in the same Jamie sense. says a thousand pounds. That's what Jamie, Jamie says. Jamie loves dollars. He likes to say dollars. Dollars. He, he refuses bucks. to say bucks. He hates bucks. Bucks. My dollars. All right. Okay. Well, time to go, folkies. Jamie, of course, meaning Jamie Willett. That would make it on topic. Right. I hope you're having a wonderful Labor Day. Yeah, Labor Day. Eat your hot dogs and hamburgers on the grills. Yep. It's and all. have a ball. And we'll see you when it's actually September. See you in September. It already is September, isn't it? It already is September, isn't it? It is September. Well, we'll see uh-huh. you when you can't wear white shoes anymore. Oh, I just bought a new pair of white shoes. I know. Put them away till next year. I'm going to tie them. When they will be out of season. If you have any instructions as to how to tie-dye white shoes... Just go! You're wasting time! Email andrew at staff.mugglecast.com and he'll let me know how to do it. Staff.mugglenet.com Mugglenet. I always say it wrong, don't I? Yeah. Mail bomb. Andrew at... <laughs> okay, okay. Right. We're, we're leaving. Top of you. Oh, and about time to... We've missed it. I confess myself disappointed. Now, if you two don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. As soon as we, this should be the Pottercast rule. We mentioned Andrew or Mugglecast. We get the just go. It. You're wasting time because clearly we've run out of things to talk about. Nobody okay. cares. Nobody calls.